If you have your Bibles, you can open to Genesis chapter 2 or Ephesians chapter 5, either way, or to both of those when we get to them, as we'll continue our sermon series on systems, God's systems for his institutions, God's systems for his principles. And before we begin, I'd like to announce that we have a new ministry starting here at Lindsay Lane Baptist Church called Special Connections. And this ministry is led by our new coordinator, Lauren Evans, and it desires to connect special needs families with opportunities and accessibility and even buddies here at Lindsay Lane. And that ministry launches tonight at five o'clock in the student center. Again, that's 5 p.m. in the student center. And it's there where we'll talk about the motivation for that ministry. We will talk about the next steps in that ministry. We'll provide uh, a time at the end following the introduction and information that'll just give a time to dialogue between the ministry leaders and families. And we would love to welcome anyone that's interested in this ministry to serve in this ministry. We'd love to welcome you there in the student center at five o'clock and communicate to, to you how you can be a part of the Special Connections ministry. So with that, let me pray over that ministry and pray as we begin this, this message today. Lord, once again, this is your church. This is your service. Father, this is your word. These are your people. And so, Lord, we, we bring you our concerns and our cares. God, we, we pray that you would speak to our heart today. And, Lord, use us to serve you, to represent you in the world. I, I do pray over this new ministry launch, God, as we just desire for, for every person to find their place here at our church, God, that you would give us great wisdom and help us, Lord, as we start new works here, Lord. We ask, God, that you'd bless the effort. And, Lord, just I pray over each and every person that's here today, each and every family, each and every married couple, God, that you would speak truth into our life. And, Lord, that we would line up with you over and above how we feel we thank you once again for your word and pray, God, that you bless our time now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christmas has come and gone, but Christmas leaves memories, and one of the memories that it leaves is the memory of assembly, a gift purchased that did not come in completely in, uh, constructed. So when you get that gift, you unpack the parts, you pull everything out of the box, and then at the bottom of that box is a small piece of paper or, or a sample size booklet, and that little booklet is known as the owner's manual. But before you open up that owner's manual from that piece that you are to assemble, there's an inside immaterial part of you that has this feeling of, I think I can do this myself. Which is a mistake, by the way, at least it is for me. And so you have this conversation with yourself, like, I think that I can do this myself. Or there's a temptation even outside of that to seek help from YouTube or from a buddy of yours that can help you shortcut the system where you can find a simpler way around it by, the, by a quick video or the opinion of a friend just to do a little bit different so it doesn't take you as much time, so there's not as much grind. But if you want to know how something works, if you want to know how something works, you should look no further than the creator. If you want to look, know how marriage works, if you don't know how the family works, we should look no further than the creator. God has given us an instruction manual. The, the owner's manual has been given to us. It is instructional specific. It comes with maintenance. It comes with troubleshooting advice. Because the creator knows the what, the why, and the how. Marriage is an institution of God. 
And the scripture provides the what, the why, and the how. And today we'll explore the idea from scripture that marriage is created by God, marriage was created for God, and marriage works because of God. In Genesis, Adam had placed, or God had placed Adam in the Garden of Eden. He was given responsibility. God told Adam to tend and watch over all that he had created thus far, and he was given a standard to abide by. You can eat of any tree around here, but don't eat fruit from the tree of knowledge. So Adam was given responsibility. He was given a standard, and what followed was God's declaration that Adam would need some help. Genesis chapter 2, 18, the Bible says, Then the Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Listen to me. God builds people for relationships. No man is an island. God builds people for relationship. And amongst God's people, especially, we are not to be independent of each other. We work together for the glory of God and the good of man. Together. And, and some of you are in the inside thinking to yourself, why can't I just be left alone? How come y'all got to greet me every Sunday? <laughs> how come I can't just come in here and sit down in the back or sit wherever I am and just listen to the message, how God speaks to me personally? Why can't I, ju I just be left alone? Because the Bible says it's not good. It's not sinful for you to desire to be left alone, but the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. Not good for you. It's not good for the one that needs you. God knows that one person needs another to live well, to live responsibly, and to live under the standard of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. It goes on to say in verse 12, three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now, as you know, we're talking about marriage this morning. And as, as, as I've said, that God has built us for relationship. Before we establish the first point of today's message, here's what I don't want you to take away today. What I don't want you to take away today is the thought of, well, I guess it's as simple as that. Everybody needs to get married so we won't be alone. Everybody just needs to get married and that'll solve everybody's issues and I need to get married and I need to get married so I won't be alone. Not necessarily, not necessarily. Some may need to seek first the kingdom of God instead of seeking a spouse. Amen? And not everyone needs to get married. Not everyone has to get married. It's not a sin to be single. And no one should make someone who is single feel guilty about being single. And no one who is, again, who is single should feel weird about wanting to remain single. But you would say, well, yes, well, I, I hear what you're saying, but I want to get married. I had that desire. I do want to be married. I strongly desire that relationship that God would allow and God would give. And to that, I would say, take that to the Lord and acknowledge him in your pursuits and trust him to guide you. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 right there. Take it to the Lord. Acknowledge him as you pursue that and trust God to guide you. And if someone is pressuring you to get married, you tell them, I've taken that to the Lord. I'm trusting him in my pursuits and you need to back off. All right? Some of y'all need to quit putting unbiblical pressure on people to get married when that God will determine their steps if they're seeking him. Now, some of y'all are laughing because y'all know it's you. Y'all quit. Quit doing that. Now, who God provided in Genesis chapter 2 is important. 
who God provided in Genesis chapter 2 is important. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So right after that, God made animals from the dirt. But respectfully to all the folks here that love animals, the scripture says, but there still was no helper just right for him. So God continued to create, and he created a woman. And this time, not from the dirt of the ground, God created woman from the side of Adam, from the rib of Adam, the Bible says. And then the scripture says in verse 22, God brought her to the man. Lord, help us to focus in, get all we can get today in Jesus' name. So when you see that in verse 22, that when God created woman and brought her to the man, woman is a side-by-side complement to man. She is not lesser than. She is not greater than. She is equal to. And even though man and woman are not the same and their roles are not the same, there is equal image of God value for both. No matter what your grandparents did, no matter what the culture you came from says, that is the biblical truth of man and woman and the equal image of God value that they hold. And the church said amen. Now, as we continue towards the main points of today's passage, there's a few things we've got to tackle while we're here and while we're looking in the scripture. I want to make sure that we point out the following. When you are reading this through Genesis even if you are studying it for marriage, the obvious markers here in Genesis give clarity to God's design for gender. Male and female, he created them. God's word gives design for marriage, husband and wife, man and woman. I would implore you, implore you, to seriously consider the Bible, to consider the truth of God as determined by God. And when the Bible speaks of marriage, it refers to a man and a woman. I would also lead you to consider that what God said in Genesis chapter one, when he said, be fruitful and multiply, it must be a man and a woman in order for humans to be fruitful and multiply. That is an obvious truth of God, y'all. It's an obvious truth of God. It's his original intent and it's not to be re-engineered over time. It's not to be tossed as, that's back then theology. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse eight, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. That is the truth of the scripture. The relationship of male husband and female wife is central to creation and humanity. Homosexuality rejects God's design for marriage. Homosexuality rejects God's design for sexuality. But so does pornography. And so does sexual promiscuity outside of marriage. So does ongoing lust. So does abuse. All of those things violate God's standard for sexuality. And all of those who are taking a God-given desire and doing with it what they want because it's what they want instead of what God has designed is outside of God's standard. And to that, the Bible says this, listen to this, Philippians 2, 13, God is working in you, which is referencing the Holy Spirit. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him, to do what pleases him. Now, please understand, 
I know these are sensitive things. I know these are very relevant things in our culture, and I know that everybody has opinions and all of these things. I'm not preaching you away from this church today. What I am doing is I'm wanting all of us to line up with the standard of the holy God we just sang about. I'm wanting all of us to deal with our things before God and his word. And I'm just going to tell you in here today, to be very honest, when it comes to sexual sin, there may be a few that are excluded, but most everyone has had to deal with that before the Lord in their lifetime, certainly me included, just in case y'all wondering. This altar couldn't hold all of us that needs to come before God and his holiness who has crossed its line over our life. But if there is conviction in your heart, here's the good news. If there is conviction in your heart today over sexual sin, if there's conviction on the inside from God that you stepped out of bounds and need to get back to where he's going, that's a good thing because God disciplines those he loves. God is after you to pull you in closer because he loves you and wants you to have an abundant life as you are walking with him. And the good news about all of that is we discuss how everybody has a temptation and how most folks have given themselves over to a cross line. The good news is there is grace and forgiveness of God. God desires to forgive you and not just forgive you, and set you free from the penalty of sin, God desires to set you free from the power of it so that you are not living a slave's life when you've been freed up to be a slave to God. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 51, verse 17, God will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Somebody needs to hear that today. God will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So what do you do with it? You confess your sin and you forsake your sin. Confess and forsake your sin. You accept the consequences because even forgiven sin has consequences. And then you tighten up. Listen to the scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Lord Jesus, I know that in a crowd of folks in here today, we're just a bunch of broken people that you can make whole. So Lord, would you help us today? Father, where we are broken, help us to realize the truth of the Scripture that you are not out to reject us, but to receive us. And Lord, to do that is on your terms. It's not on ours. We're not going to tell you today, Lord, who we're going to be. Father, I pray that your truth would yell at us today, Lord, in our heart. Father, I pray that we would understand while you have provided a holy standard because of who you are, God, there is grace and forgiveness and mercy because of who you are. And your spirit will come inside of our life and direct us, Lord. Free us from the penalty and the power of sin. Father, if there are people that need to fill this altar, Lord, I I pray that they feel comfortable to do so. Lord, if there are those that need to turn from where they are going and turn to where you are going, Lord, that they would know that they can. God, we are grateful for your grace and mercy and help us to understand how you are protecting us by your word and by your spirit's leading. In Jesus' name, amen. God made Eve, the first woman, and he presented her to Adam to be his companion and helper. And God created the woman not only to be a help to Adam, but he, she was given to Adam to be his wife. Now, I realize that up until this point in the service, it's kind of been heavy There's some things that we've talked about that have been heavy so far. So in an attempt to to sort of loosen us up before we go any further, I want to show you a video from the internet. 
And this has to do with a state fair, I believe in Iowa. And this is called the husband calling contest from the state fair of Iowa. How many of you have seen this? It's amazing. Our guys would show it to us. and you know that I want to get there on time. Roy! Roy, 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 Roy! When I... What is that? Yoo-hoo! She got fourth place. The lady that went, yoo-hoo! Got fourth place. That may have been the only five that participated. I don't, I don't know. I have no spiritual reason to show you that today, zero. I just saw it last week and thought, we have got to watch this together. <laughs> and if Greg, Greg is actually preaching at another church today. He's like, could we get a couple of people at the end of the service <laughs> to participate in this? So maybe later. <laughs> marriage, back to marriage. Marriage was created by God. And marriage is the first institution in the Bible. The owner's manual shows us in Genesis chapter two that marriage is documented, it is described, and it is defined. In Genesis chapter two, verse 24, the Bible says, this, meaning the provision of Eve to Adam, explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Take this note. This is not Adam's words. This is not Eve's words. These are the reflections of God. And the Bible first says, a man leaves. Notice that? This explains why a man leaves his father and mother. Now, Adam had no father and mother because he was the first created man. But when a marriage takes place, a man and a woman leave their existing families and they become a new family. Now, this does not mean that children cease to respect their parents. It does not mean that children cease to honor their father and mother once they get married. But it does mean that that family that has now become a new family leaves the old family to become its own family. For the husband and the wife, there is new priority. There is needs for them both. There are concerns that that new family must place above the concerns of other families. And these needs and concerns of the new family takes precedence over the desires and the practices of the former family. Now, I say that because that's easy preaching. And it is the truth. But it's not easy to live out sometimes. And here's the reason why. Because the prospective husband and the prospective wife have been with their own families for at least 20 years. And of those 20 years, their decisions have been largely made for them and this family is a brand new unit that is bringing in expectations from families that they've been attached to for at least 20 years. Still, 
You have got to trust God's word over what you feel. You have got to trust God's word over what is expected of you by others because God knows in order for your family to be healthy, the old must go to the side, the new must step to the front and make decisions on its own undivided. Are you hearing me? Many of our expectations for new families come from old family. But husbands and wives, y'all got to cool it with that. Because two sets of family traditions and two sets of family systems and two sets of expectations are going to be brought into your one marriage. You have to make those decisions together. The new family must decide together how they will live well, how they will live responsibly, and by God's standard, from there forward, how they will live according to God. How? How do you do that, families, husbands and wives? You've got to talk about it together. You've got to quit asking everybody else what they think. And you actually have to look to each, husbands, listen to me. You don't have to talk to anybody else in the world, but you've got to talk to your wife. Somebody say amen to that. You've got to drop down the pride and you have got to talk and you've got to listen and you've got to discuss what you value. You've got one of the hardest conversations that Brittany and I had, just so we're being clear on all these things in here today. One of the hardest conversations that Brittany and I had in the first year of our marriage is where we're going to spend Christmas. It's a true story. We both got big families that love one another. We both want to be there for all of it. But now we are a family and we have to decide for ourselves. You've got to talk about those things. You've got to communicate how you feel and you've got to work those things out together without the outside influence because God knows in order for your family unit to be undivided in the future, you have got to communicate well and become its own family. Put the other old to the side so that the other may go to the forefront. The new family has to communicate values and decide together. And parents and in-laws, you have got to honor this from your side. You hear me? In-laws, parents, you have got to honor this. At the end of every, every marriage ceremony I officiate, I say the following words, and I tell the married couple before we do this that I'm gonna do it. I'll say, before the pronouncement, let me offer a word of challenge and encouragement to the families of Jim and Pam, or Ross and Rachel, whichever one you prefer. <laughs> I'll say, before, before the pronouncement, let me offer a word of encouragement to the families of A and B. And I'll say this very simply. I say, let them be married. Offer them your time and offer them your prayers and offer them your support while respecting their time and space. I go on to say, be understanding of the decisions that they must make between the two of you as they have to split their time between each of you. And the first years of marriage, are, marriage is a time of adjustment and they'll need your encouragement. See, this is why God gives us his truth so we don't all throw our own truth and opinions into it. And if we'll abide by him, then we will see it work out in the way that God would have us to go. The scripture goes on to say that not only does a man leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife, but the two are united into one. A unified experience, a, a unity of feelings and aspirations united into one. one. One author says like a cluster of grapes. Think about that picture as a, a individual grapes connected to the same vine. I remember in my younger days, a, a friend of mine, when we were all discussing marriage and none of us were married, but a friend of mine said one time, he said, I'm going to tell you, when I get married, I'm not giving my entire life away. She's going to be on my time. <laughs> Your reaction to that is exactly as it should be. Half of you are laughing and the other ones are going, Lord, have mercy on his soul. <laughs> right? 
You see, he said those things, again, not being married, he said those things out of immaturity. And again, before he got married himself. But sadly, many on one side of an existing marriage or another still continues to see their life as their own. The scripture says it's no longer two anymore. It's one. They continue to see their time as their own time. They continue to see their resources as their own resources, their reputation as their own reputation. Once they get married, there is no longer two but one. The scripture says you're no longer two individuals. The two become one. This is where much of marriage conflict comes from because individuals that are married are still thinking as individuals. They continue to think about their time, their resources, what they want to accomplish, and excludes anybody else. In fact, it is excluding the one that you promised before God you would be one with. Stop keeping your cell phones from each other. Stop keeping your resources from each other. Stop declining to talk about money with your spouse. Stop those things. Stop making plans that exclude your spouse. I'm going to go over here and you're going to deal with it. You think that's how God designed your marriage to go? Stop keeping your financials from them. Stop keeping your feelings from your spouse. You, you, the, the two become one. He is a part of you. She is a part of you. We're all about this before we get married. We sit down to premarital counseling. We talk to folks that we're, we're about to get married. We're all about this. We want to share together. We want to love together. Everything that's mine is hers. Everything is beautiful. There's just birds chirping and butterflies just all around everybody's head. And as soon as we get married and life becomes comfortable, it's like we revert back to selfish again and forget God's design for marriage, which is not for two to try to figure it out, but for the two become one. Marriage was created by God. A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become one. Now, marriage is created by God, it's created for God. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 will look very familiar as you turn over there from Genesis. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32 says this A man leaves his father and mother joined to his wife, the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Now, I want you to hear that second half of that verse. Married folks, listen to this. This is a great mystery. Marriage is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. Ephesians expands on Genesis, and, and what we did not break down in Genesis is what we will break down here, where the scripture says he is joined to his wife, and the word joined expresses the idea of a covenant, expresses the idea of being glued together, cemented together. This is the idea of man and wife being joined together. I remember when I had the economics, I went to Auburn for a year, came back, wasn't for me, uh, Finished out up here, but while I was at Auburn, I, I, I sat down in a class, an economics class, and if there was one person in there, there was eight million. And it was intimidating for me, insecure as I walked into that class, and I was about to turn in an assignment. I had it together, my papers were there to turn in. And the professor said, anybody that turns in this paper today, it needs to be bound together. It needs to be stapled or paper clipped please turn in your paper 
in that manner. Well, I didn't have a stapler. And I, I what you think I'm Office Depot? Like I didn't have I didn't have any paper clips, and I was too insecure at the time to look over the five people, the five prepared girls beside me, and go, "Can I borrow your stapler for two seconds? I don't want to trouble them with that. Trouble them? With, I'm a, I, sometimes I look back at my college self, want to hit me right in the face. <laughs> so, what did I do? I dog-eared the paper. Now, do y'all know what dog-eared is? High school students, find yourself a little stapler or paper clip. Don't do that. I dog the paper, which is to basically take the side of the paper and turn it like this and maybe like tear it. And, and so I walk up to this professor and hand her my paper real quick like, so I'm like, it's about the content, it's about the content. I hand her the paper, I turn around, she looks at it, and before I get to the door, she goes, Mr. King. I was like, my word. I walk back and she says, Mr. King, are you really going to turn in this paper like this? She said, this paper is not bound together. Don't turn in a paper like this again. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Too many are dog-earing the covenant pages of their marriage. We're not taking it serious enough. we just putting it together based off of feelings we've had and expectations we had and we brought into it. So instead of seeing it as a covenant before God, a covenant before our family and friends, a covenant that God has joined together himself. We've decided to bound it together as much as we want to do it instead of for what God has said it should be. A marriage is not something that we've thrown together by feeling. It's something joined together by God. A man is glued to his wife. This is a binding relationship. It's a, it's a permanent union as designed by God, brought together by the love of one to another. And listen to this scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Jesus says this, Since then they are no longer two but one, let no one separate what God has joined together. You hearing that? Let no one separate what God has joined together. Husbands and wives, when the Bible says, let no one separate them for what God has joined together, a lot of times we think on the outside, I would implore you to think this. That means first, don't let you separate it. The biblical idea of word for joined is the word covenant. This is an agreement where both parties are bound towards fulfillment of the promise by their own oath. And so with the standards the way they are now, no couple really has to have a marriage ceremony at all. We don't even sign any uh, license anymore as pastors. Some of you know how this is. You go get the paper, it's over with as soon as you got it. The date that you say you want to get married, that's it. There is no ceremony. Listen, I would encourage you to have a marriage ceremony. And the reason why is because you are gathering together before God and all those folks who love you and want to see your marriage last and you are going to proclaim one to another your oath and your vows in that ceremony because it is a covenant relationship. And that covenant relationship is bound by the vows that you make. In year 15 of my marriage, I thank God for his grace because I understand that better than I did even on the day when we got married. I would encourage you to do premarital counseling. I would encourage you to do postmarital counseling. And I would encourage you to have a wedding ceremony. And I'm not saying that because any wedding photographer or wedding planner has asked me to do that. I'm telling you, you should do that because it's special. 
It's special. It is a God institution, your marriage is. God has joined this together. It is a covenant relationship where you pledge yourself to each other. And Ephesians says this covenant relationship. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Ephesians says this covenant relationship is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. This is why keeping your marriage together till death do you part, why it matters. Because it is a living picture of Jesus' love for his church. And Jesus don't run out on his church. Jesus doesn't quit his church. Jesus provides and protects for his church. This is our Savior. This is our Lord who always loyally loves the church. And the church then displays submission and service, not selfishness. This is also why the Bible says that God hates divorce. This is why. Because the scripture says that marriage is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. And divorce gives a distorted view of what God has brought together. Now, don't misunderstand me. When the Bible says that God hates divorce in Malachi chapter 2, that doesn't mean that God hates you. It means God hates divorce. Are you hearing that? This is not a statement of condemnation. He doesn't hate those who are hurt by divorce. He hates divorce because it represents something that he came up with. It represents something that he has made as a holy union to represent his love in the world. Married couples that are here today, this is all the reason why we should work on it, say we're sorry, extend grace, read the Bible, move forward, because it means more than just how you feel. Marriage was created by God. Marriage was created for God, and marriage works because of God. It works because of God. Ephesians 5. If, I'm going to give you a homework assignment, married couples. Read Ephesians 5 together. The whole chapter, specifically verses 21 through 33 together. And then after you read it, why don't you study it? Why don't you get yourself a commentary that you trust? We can recommend some of those. Why don't you study it and see what those words of love and submission and respect, what they actually mean? That could be a completely different sermon for another day, but I'll give you an overview as we start. Marriage works because of God. Ephesians 5 dedicates this entire chapter to right living. It instructs the believer to imitate God. It instructs the believer to follow the example of Christ to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. This is all leading up to when it talks about relationships. Then it turns to relationships and specifically speaks to the husband and wife. Here's what Ephesians 5 teaches, that if we'll get this right, it will work because of God's standard. Ephesians 5 says this, to submit one to another in verse 21. Now, most of the time, we all joke around about how when we're having a marriage ceremony and it'll come up that wives submit to your husband. Jail, we want you to read that one. <laughs> That's bold, brother. Because the majority of the responsibility is on you to love her as Christ loves the church. But as we look there, you'll see that the verse that precedes all of that in verse 21 is for you to submit one to another, to set the tone of submission together. And then Ephesians 5 teaches the husband to love as Christ loves the church and the wife to submit to the husband as to the Lord. And both of us, both of us that are involved in a marriage, stop telling the Lord how you feel and start receiving what God has said 
and study it and dig into it and dig deep while you are praying for God to help you fulfill these things in your marriage. Ephesians 5 goes on to say that it teaches a man how he must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. It works because of God. Now, some of you that are brand new to marriage, take it, study it, apply it. And for those of you that have been going through marriage for a long time, do you not think that all this stuff still applies to you? This, your marriage is to, you can be in a marriage that lasts 50 years and not represent the illustration of Christ, the way he loves the church. This is not just about not getting divorced and it's not just about staying together, it's about representing the covenant from God to his people. How he is loving them even when they are unlovable. This is Ephesians 5. And before you start bristling at the Lord, telling God what you're going to do, I think you would know this is not so much about what to do as how to do it. Meaning, listen to this. Submission has more to do with the operation of authority than it does the order of it. God has created us for his glory. And God has created marriage to illustrate how Christ loves the church, how the church submits to Christ. I'll tell you this, when Brittany and I are serving each other, when we are submissive to each other, we don't have a whole lot of problems. It's certainly better in our home when we are considering the other as better than ourselves, as the scripture says. But here's what we do. I'll tell you what, when he does, I will. When she does, I will. When he loves, I'll submit. When she submits, I'll love. When he loves, I'll respect. When she respects, I'll love. Lord have mercy. I'm so glad that God doesn't treat us like that. What if you're in a boat together? Each of you are given an oar to row so that you make your way downstream towards the desired destination. One on one side, one on the other. Each, each of you begin to row, you move along. As soon as one quits, though, as soon as one quits or slacks off, more than likely because two people are two people, the other one quits. And one of you, if you refuse because they don't appreciate the effort of the other, and then the other refuses because they don't appreciate your criticism, then you both stop rowing and you either drift off or you run aground. And let's just say one person says, well, they quit, I'm not going to quit. You're only going in a circle then. It's not God's design for what he has created to reflect his glory and reflect his love for his church. In marriage, we are intended to arrive together. But if we self instead of serve, and if we self instead of submit, we'll miss it. I want you to listen to this final word. Marriage is not given to make your dreams come true. I don't know why I wouldn't get any amens out of that. Marriage is not given to make your dreams come true. It's given for you as a way for you to glorify God. You and I are not the main character in this thing. He is, together for the glory of God and the good of man. Happiness is a byproduct of two people going in the same direction under God. Now, I know that Hallmark will never write a storyline around that. I know that they're not going to be, oh, that's beautiful. Let's, let's make another Christmas movie about that. That'll be 301. I don't know who I'm kidding. We watch a bunch of them. I'll just tell you. 
But I realize that the, there's, no, there's no movie to be made off of that. But when Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can go there and look at it, verse 29. He says married people shouldn't focus only on their marriage because the time that remains is very short. In other words, married people, we need to get this straight so we can start focusing outside of our home, not just inside of it. Why would we reach our neighbors when our home is falling apart? You see, when the home falls apart, then you bring those things into the church and nobody's reaching out anymore because we're only ministering in. We must yield to the Spirit of God. We must yield to the Word of God. We must say we're sorry and mean it. We must ask for forgiveness. We must repent and go in a different direction so that our lives will reflect the glory of God and God's love for the church. Paul also says that we should not be so attached and absorbed by the world that we live in in verses 30 and 31. And he goes on to say this to those considering marriage. Listen to this, write it down, highlight it, take it with you. Final word, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 35. Paul says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. Do you see the, you see the emphasis placed on the mission of God above even the relationships? He has designed your relationship to move towards the mission. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I'll just tell you here, there are, I know there are folks here today, what you need is a word from God. What you need is to hear a message on ministry, a message on the ministry of your marriage, and it's going to help you. Some of you need surgery. Some of you need people to sit down with you and direct the conversation and the communication because you don't want to quit, but you're both about there. So why don't you just give God a shot? Won't you let him have it? Why don't you let him direct where you're going from here? I'm not going to hold your, have you hold your hands up in here, but I'm just going to tell you, God can put your marriage back together. Our, our pastor emeritus used to say from the pulpit, if God can hang a moon in the sky, he can fix your marriage. It's so true. Brittany and I are just a family just like y'all. We've had ups and downs in our marriages, but here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for the grace. I said marriages. We've only been married once. <laughs> I'm, just to clarify, just to clarify, bring clarity, to be clear is to be kind. We, in our marriage, God has seen us through times when Brittany was rowing and I wasn't. Times between where we both wanted to quit and we're drifting apart. There's been times in our marriage where we've had other people that have come alongside of us and helped us. We didn't go to people that were for our first name. We went to people that were for our last name. Are you hearing me? Stop talking to married couples. Let me just, I know you're standing here for just a second. Stop going to your family for counsel. Stop going to, how do you think Thanksgiving's gonna be after you've run to your mom and daddy and told on, on your spouse? How do you think Christmas is gonna be? You need to start going to someone that will be for your last name. Someone that will counsel you towards the cross. That will counsel you towards the word of God. Because your marriage is more important than how you feel. Your marriage is a mission. It's a mission, amen? 
Lord, I said a lot. Holy Spirit of God, that you would make everything plain and true. Everything that we do is so meaningful, God. I pray for every marriage that's in here, every marriage that will be, every marriage that has been. And God, I'm first to stand and thank you for your grace and the keeping power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, as you hold our feet to the fire of who we are and who we are not, who we need to be. God, thank you. Thank you, O Lord, for how you desire to restore and you will if we will yield. Lord, I pray for the people in here today that desire for their home to be fixed. Lord, I pray for the folks in here today that are going through a separation. Maybe they're looking at divorce square in the face. I just ask, oh God, that you would work in their hearts. Father, I just pray that you would move them towards a solution that glorifies you. Lord, ultimately towards restoration. God, you have made a way for us to be forgiven of sin and freed from the penalty and the power of sin, Lord. And I pray, Lord, if there's one today in here that realizes that they need more power than they have in their marriage to fulfill what you've given them in this covenant, that God, that they would be saved or Lord, that they would turn back to you. God, that we would mark out a straight path for our feet and follow. God, again, I thank you, Lord, for your word, how it guides us. And I pray, Lord, today that you would lead us to a response. Lord, if that response needs to be that we worship you because of what you've done, if that response needs to be that we need to get saved, we need to join this church, Lord, we need relationships around us that'll help hold us accountable. Lord, if that response is that we just simply come and pray together as a family at the altar, or Lord, that we come and pray by ourselves as we pray for our spouse who's not here. Lord, I pray that you would turn our heart to reflect yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This altar's here for you. We have pastors here for you, decision counselors here for you. Let's worship and respond together.